It's awesome being a Christian, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Wouldn't go back. However, this sermon is a little bit of a deviation from uh, the series we've been doing on David. And I, I guys were in good hands the past couple of weeks. Thanks there, Pastor Keith. Appreciate it. I didn't get to watch them yet, though. Vimeos are up. I have to watch them. How many have been following the, uh, the news? How many hate following the news? How many know there's another hurricane out there? Actually, it's a tropical storm now, right, Nate? We're already through the ends on the hurricanes. When we were in, in Florida, the first year we were there, we had a hurricane come through. It was, the name of it was Wilma. So we were already to the W's that year and did a lot of damage. Every time I hear of a natural disaster or even a man-made disaster such as the Vegas shootings, you think about your own mortality, don't you? Think about, am I ready? If that happens to me, am I ready for that day? Whether you get caught in a flood or you're just the random victim of a person who's out there, are you ready? How many of you have heard the, heard the prophecy that the world was going to end on September 23rd? Okay, guess what? How many of you really believe that now? Now, Brad raised his hand. Okay. You know, we, we kind of scoff at that. Most Christians will just, you know, disregard it. But the danger in those predictions is you hear so many of them and they don't come true, you begin to think that the world's going to keep going on the way it's been going on and never end. We don't think that Christ is ever going to come back. There's never going to be a judgment. At least in my lifetime, it's not going to happen. How many of you think that? What happens to your relationship with God if you begin thinking that uh, it's just going to keep going the way it's going? It weakens your relationship. Your expectancy of God's return weakens. I was, I was struggling with this all week. And as I was sitting there worshiping, I'm trying to think of an example. And God brought it back to my mind, my escapades as a child. Yeah. You know, my brother, I have a younger brother who's 14 years younger than me. And as one is two years younger than me. Well, when my parents would go out when I was old enough to babysit, that was probably a mistake for them. Because we would take the crib mattress and use it as a slide down the stairs. And we would put my younger brother in a, one of the dog crates we had just so he wouldn't get himself in trouble. And he would be in the crate most of the time. But my parents would always call when they were leaving wherever they were coming from. This before cell phones. They would call from the house they were at and say, we're on our way home. And so guess what we would do? We would clean up everything and put the mattress away. So when they came home, man, we were angels, all right? And he really couldn't talk much, so he couldn't really, you know, tell on us. But the point is, if they had to come home without telling us, man, we'd have gotten in so much trouble. You know, there's a reason that God doesn't tell us when he's coming, because he always wants us to be ready. There's no phone call, 
There's no prediction it's going to come. You've got to be ready all the time. If they weren't going to call, and we knew they weren't going to call, then we, we would have to be like good the whole time. Because they can come home in any minute. You know, you hear these prophecies and someone cries wolf and keeps crying wolf and keeps crying wolf and it never happens. We kind of get lackadaisical as Christians, right? We think that Jesus may not return in our lifetime. Or How many of you hope that Jesus doesn't return in your lifetime? I used to think that when I was a young parent. I used to think, Lord, I, I want to raise my kids. I want to have kids. Don't, don't come back now. Well, that was a mistake. Come back anytime you want, Lord. The whole thing is, I want to be ready for that moment. I don't want to get off track. Now, we don't know when that day is going to be, but Jesus did tell us to keep an eye out for the signs. Things are going to start happening that we need, should take notice of. Matthew 24, 3 says this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when this will happen. And what will be the sign of the coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginnings of birth pains. Now, we've probably heard that taught. It's been taught as long as the Bible's been around. I'm sure people decades and generations ago have preached on this verse saying that Jesus could come at that point. And this is no different. It may be 100 years before Jesus comes back. But when we look at the things around us, all the signs are there that it could be today. Right? Now, verse by verse, let's look at that for a second. Verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and deceive many. Now, how many times have we heard people claiming to be Jesus? I think there's a guy walking around in Florida or California claiming to be Jesus right about now. And we have the, you know, the David Koresh's and the Jim Jones and Reverend Moon and Harry Krishna, all these guys claiming to be God. But I thought about another twist on that. 2 Timothy 4 says this in verse 3. It says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn, us, turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, when I'm thinking about that, following Jesus, being a Christian, is not easy. How many know that? We experience that, right? It's not easy. There are... I don't want to say the words demands. But as a Christian, God requires things of us. God requires us and gives us the rules and stuff. And a lot of times that becomes too hard for people to follow. They don't want to hear. Jesus says they're not going to want to put up a sound doctrine. They want to hear things that they want to hear. So what happens, they, people will now leave a Bible church and go to a church that preaches what they want to hear. Normally not a biblical church, not following the Bible. And what happens is they have now a leader in that church who is telling them what they want to hear. And as people in that congregation, they look to that person as 
their leader. And if you're a leader and you're telling them things about heaven and about, you know, religious stuff, what happens? You now become the leader by de facto their Messiah because they are trusting you for their salvation. They are trusting you for biblical truth. So as a leader of a church that is not really Bible-based, you are a false Christ. And how many churches out there all over the place that are not following God's word? And the number grows every year. When your church disregards God's word in order to please society, in order to be politically correct, they now avoid or distort God's word. And so if that person who's leading those congregations is their Messiah, who they're trusting for their spiritual nourishment, he's a false Christ. And that number grows. When Jesus says, many will come in my name, the folks that proclaim to be spiritual leaders that aren't, that's a false Christ. So that number has risen exponentially as the years gone by. Now verse 6 says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Now I checked on Wikipedia, and I know it's not a tremendous reliable source, but it's a source nonetheless. It's easily available. And as of Friday, there are currently 58 active wars as of the end of September, resulting in each war resulting in at least 100 deaths. If you're watching the news, we're having an issue with North Korea. And we're having an issue with China. And we're having an issue with Soviet Union, or, I mean, Russia. Now ISIS is all over the place. All these rumors of potential wars. And 58 that are going on right now. There's always been wars, there will always be wars. But it seems that number is escalating. And with the event of 24-7 news, you get to see all these things going on in real time. Going to verse 7 in Matthew 24, it says, There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. According to an article in May of this year, the World Economic Forum stated this, The world faces an unprecedented famine threat. It goes on to list all the countries and nations that are under a famine watch currently. Now, we don't experience that here, but we're unique. Many nations, mostly African and in that area, they are experiencing the famine that they've never experienced before. And it doesn't mean that it won't come here, right? We go without rain for a while, guess what happens? No food. Going to the earthquake section of that, it says, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, this is a quote, it says, indeed, in a recent survey, done by U.S. Geological Survey researchers, they found that there were more than twice as many large earthquakes, which are defined here as a magnitude 7 or above, in the first quarter of 2014 than there were back in the year of 1979 in total. The planet saw a record number of earthquakes last April of this year, with 13 quakes with the magnitudes of 6.5. We have recently experienced a period, this is a quote, we have recently experienced a period that has one of the highest rates of great earthquakes ever recorded. 
according to Tom Parsons, a research geophysicist at the U.S. Geological Survey. Gil turned me on to an app on my phone. What was the name of that app? Like, Natural Disasters. Disaster app. And how many? Three earthquakes since 9.30 this morning. My phone gets alerted out of that. Thanks. Every time there's an earthquake, and it's going off all the time. I mean, and this is, these are the stats I got as of Friday. There was a 5.2 earthquake in Japan on October 6, a 5.2 in New, Papua New Guinea on October 6, a 5.4 in Chile on October 5th, a 4.3 in Alaska, a 5.7 in Argentina on October 3rd. And as he said, there's just all the time. Every one of these little blips on here, on that map you see, it's an earthquake. Verse 9 of Matthew 24 says, Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. The rate of Christian martyrdom is, again, increasing exponentially. They had, remember the two suicide bombers that went into those churches on Christmas, or on Easter, killing 45 people, wounding the rest of them? Fox News says that between 20 2005 and 2015, 900,000 Christians have been killed. 90,000 per year. 90,000 per year. According to Open Doors, a Christian organization that monitors persecution around the world, quote, without question, the last four years has been the largest growth of persecution and martyrdom we have seen in the modern age. And this year, 2016, tops all previous years. 1,329 churches were attacked just in this past year. So persecution's going up, earthquakes are going up, natural disasters are going up, false prophets, false Christs are increasing. Kind of gets my attention. Jesus could come back at any moment. At any moment. I heard a pastor once say, and I, I'm assuming this is true, that every biblical prophecy required to happen before his return has happened. Then we have the other natural disasters that aren't really spoken of. Hurricanes, flooding. There was an evacuation in the island of Vanuatu because a volcano was getting ready to explode. Irma hit Cuba, as you know, left three million people without electricity and water. Maria hit the nation of Barbuda and Puerto Rico and destroyed 95% of all the buildings. They don't expect any power for months. Then you have the mass killings in Vegas, the Orlando nightclub from years ago, Orange City, Florida, Fort Lauderdale Airport, remember the black church in South Carolina. Macy's in Washington, UPS in San Francisco, all within the past couple years. Point of all this is nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. Nobody. People in Vegas were at a concert outside. Question is, are we really ready if that happens to us? If God calls your number, are you ready? Why does this matter? 
1 John 3, 2 says this, Yes, dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what it will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And this is the verse, verse 3, And all who believe this will keep themselves pure, just as Christ is pure. In other words, you can't live like you want to live. You have to keep yourself pure in God's sight. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you don't sin. It just means you keep your accounts right with God. It means you keep yourselves holy. You can't live and do and behave however we want to. Now, what about these, these tragedies, the shootings, the death, disasters? Does the Bible really speak about them? What does Jesus say about them? Well, nothing specific about those type of events, but he does address tragedy that, that happens. This next passage, Jesus addresses natural disasters as well as man-made disasters. Luke 13, 1. This is the man-made disaster. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus that, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, during, when Pilate was in, in charge, he always was in conflict with the Jews. He would take money from the Jewish treasury, and, and there was always a, a battle with them. Now, the Jews obviously didn't have any weaponry. They didn't have any, any way to defend themselves, and, but they would protest. And what, the, what Pilate would do is he would send armed guards into the crowds dressed as Jews and while they were in the crowds, they would kill as many protesters as they could. And that's what he's talking about, mixing the blood with sacrifices. Jesus didn't address Pilate. He didn't address what Pilate was doing. He didn't address the politics of the issue. All he said was that the people were getting killed. They weren't responsible for it. And they weren't more guilty than anybody else. People that endure such tragedy are not more guilty than any of us here. Just because people in Vegas got shot doesn't mean they were worse sinners than anybody sitting here. Sometimes Christians, they, they ready, fire, aim. They, they say things before they think about them. And they'll, they'll blame lifestyles on tragedies when God says plainly that they weren't any worse than anybody else. They didn't deserve it any more than anyone else did. Whenever we hear about this or that, and sometimes you have people making these brash statements about judgments from God, you need to remember they're not any different. The people that were hurt are not any different than any of us here. They didn't deserve it any more than any of us here do. What he did tell them was unless they were living right at that time, they're going to perish. We need to be right with God because it could happen to us. Now the word perish that he uses is the same word that John uses in 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. So in, in effect, Jesus was saying these natural disasters, these man-made disasters can happen at any moment. But unless you are right with God, you are going to perish, which means you're not going to make it to heaven. So you can't wait until the last minute 
to try to get right with God. Deathbed confessions usually don't work, usually don't happen. The folks at the concert, folks during the flood, don't have that opportunity. Now, the Bible doesn't say we have to be sitting around and be fearful of that. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. We live our lives. But we live our lives right with God and not worry about what's going on around us. We have to examine ourselves and our relationships to see if we're really ready. Look yourself in the mirror and say, am I, am I ready? And the only you can answer that. The next part of Luke deals with natural disasters. Verse 4, it says, Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So we're going to assume that the tower fell on its own, either by natural disaster or whatever. Nothing could have been done to prevent it. Just like all the natural disasters we see, the hurricanes and the floods, you can't, you can't, change them. You can't alter them. You can't stop them if they're coming. So the people who were hit by hurricanes and floods and tsunamis and all the other natural disasters, no more guilty than anybody here. Whenever the Katrina hit New Orleans, I heard a number of people saying that God's judgment on that area. No. It, no more worthy of punishment than any of us here. But again, Jesus says to them, if it happens, you need to be ready. You didn't cause it, but if it happens, are you prepared for that? In all these cases, we as Christians still have the opportunity to be Jesus to the people that have involved in them. Hopefully, the church is reaching out in Vegas. And I know the Assemblies of God has sent a number of trucks down to uh, the places in Texas and Florida and now we're going to Puerto Rico. So we're being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus out there. Those things do give us the ability to minister to the folks that are down there. And we're going to find out why in a moment, why that's important. Have you ever asked yourself, did God cause these things to happen? You ever think that? God caused that? Before we get back to that, I'm going to address that in a moment. The question is, what was the title of the sermon? Are we ready? Is our life in such a place that if Jesus came back today, are we ready? We already saw that the things he told us would happen are getting closer and closer and more and more. If we died today, whether by natural causes, natural disasters, man-made disasters, whatever, are we ready to face God? I mean, really face God. The Bible is clear that no one is guaranteed of tomorrow, so we need to be ready today. No one knows when Jesus will return, but God has given us all these things to keep an eye out for. We've already discussed in the wars, etc. We know that time is getting shorter day by day. And what that means is we need to have a sense of urgency. Keith mentioned the announcements. We're trying to you know, work our way into the community. Because the church is supposed to be able to reach out into the community and be able to affect them. And we're slowly doing that. And we need to keep doing it. And we all need to be a part of that. Because if Jesus comes back today, that means the church is gone. 
and there will be no one to witness to anybody that we know and love. So let's go back to the, did God cause these things? You ever read the book of Amos? Probably not a lot. I don't read it a lot. But I was reading it the other day. Amos was a farmer who was given the job of telling Israel and Judah that their time was up. That all the, the warnings and everything was over. Judgment's coming. There's nothing you can do. Just prepare for it. And in the process of telling them that they were going to be judged. If you ever read this, in a lot of these Old Testament, especially in the Minor Prophets, man, judgment was going to be fast and it was going to be bad. <clears throat> so he's telling them all these things that are going to happen and he's reminding them of all the opportunities they had to get right. <clears throat> all the times God sent them something to get their attention. <clears throat> This verse jumped out at me the other day. They say, I have water up here, but I don't today. <clears throat> Brad's got one. He's good. <clears throat> this must be good, I guess. Or maybe God doesn't want me to say it. I don't know. Here we go. Must be the enemy. Thank you, sir. I feel like David when his, when his soldiers brought in the water and he dumped it out. I'm not dumping it out. So Amos, he's telling them they're going to be judged. He's reminding them of all the times that God tried to get their attention and they refused. Amos chapter 3, verse 6. The first part says, when a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble. In other words, when they, they always have these you know, guys on the wall, the watchmen on the wall, and if they saw an impending army coming to the city, they would blow the trumpets, get the people's attention, so they know there's an invasion coming. And whenever that happened, people were afraid, obviously. When the army was coming, they were afraid. They were, and he's saying, when you sound the trumpet, don't the people respond to that? Don't they get afraid? Obviously, the answer is supposed to be, yeah. When the trumpet's sound, they, they understand. But the second half, it says this. When disaster comes to a city, has the Lord not caused it? Wow. I read that. Man, I had to go back and read it again and again. God would cause disaster to come to Israel and Judah to get the same reaction, to get their attention, like the trumpet. But every time the disaster came, the people still did not repent. And so since they ignored all these signs that God was continuing to send and continuing to send, they ignored them. And so Amos's job was to say, okay, warnings are done. Warnings are done. You're getting taken off. If you read most of the prophets in the Old Testament, they were all used by God to warn people of their wayward lives, to warn the town to get right. And they would use things and examples and illustrations and God would send things in the form of disasters to get their attention. But 
as we saw with Israel and Judah, didn't, didn't work. People ignored those disasters. So now we have the New Testament basically telling us the same thing. Jesus is coming back. It could be today. It could be next week. It could be before I finish the sentence, he can come back. Are we ready? Or are we ignoring the signs that God is trying to get our attention? If you guys want to come band. Second Peter 3, 3 says, First I want to remind you that in the last days there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. This will be their argument. Quote, Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. That was the argument we used at the beginning of the sermon. We've been around however long we've been alive, and as Jesus hasn't come back, he hasn't come back in 2017 years. Doesn't mean he's going to come back tomorrow. If we get lazy in our approach to that and we think that he's not going to come back, and we begin to live our lives like, well, you know, I've always got time to get right. I know I shouldn't be doing these things, or I know I should be doing them. But you know what? He's not coming back today, so I'm going to, I'll get right tomorrow. He says later on in 2 Peter 3, he says, But you must not forget, dear friends, that a, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he's giving more time for everyone to repent. Now the question is, are we going to be like the Israelites who just ignore all the disasters or even get mad at God or whatever the case might be, but we don't, we don't repent? I'm not saying us, maybe, but the world in general. But we as a church, why are we here? If we are saved... Why doesn't God take us right to heaven like right now? Because there's one thing here we can't do in heaven. We can pray. We won't have to pray. We'll be there. We'll know God's word. The Bible says we'll, we'll know as, he, as we are known. We'll know God's word perfectly. We'll have a relationship with God. We'll have fellowship with other Christians. What's the one thing we can't do? Bring others with us. So as a church, why are we here? We are to connect people to God and we're to build people up and we're to offer hope to the people that we know. That's why we're here. And when we say come expecting, that's what we're expecting. We're expecting God to work in our lives as a form of a testimony to the people that are without. Do the people look at us that don't go to church and do they see something that draws them in? Do they see something that when disaster comes their way, they look at us and say, man, I want what they've got? Or do they look at us and say, I don't want what they got. They've got what I've got. But Sue and Marion, Brenda, 
And the rest are good examples of what God does. People see your upbeat spirit. People see your faith. People see your trust. Even though you're struggling. And people want that. Because when they go through the same thing you're going through, they want to know how come you're happy. How come you trust God? That's what gets people's attention. We should exude Christ when we're out of here. So that when people look at us, they see something, not that your life is perfect, but they see something that they don't have. And they want what you have. And that is why we're here. I'm going to ask the band if they would close us as we worship this song and be amazed at what God has done in your life and, and realize that God can do that for the hardest person you're witnessing to. Amen.
Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for the immense love you have for us. Your word says that while we were yet sinners, while we hated you, you died for me. You knew every wicked thing I would do then and every wicked thing I would do from that point on, and yet you still love me. Lord, I know that we don't have to live our lives in order to please you, in order to get merit or favor with you. We don't work our way into heaven. But Father, we live our lives in great in gratitude for what you've already done for us. You deserve us to love you. You deserve us to worship you. You deserve for us to live for you. Just as a child can't earn his parents' love, we can't earn yours. But we do want to show you that we appreciate you. We want to be ready. We want to be ready to go. Whether it's today, tomorrow, years from now. We don't know when that time is going to be. Father, keep our minds focused on, on you. And let us live in anticipation that today, you know, could be the day. We don't want to leave anything left undone or unsaid either for you or for anyone in our families. So we want to be ready. Lord, I pray for each person here that, God, you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Allow them to really experience the love you have for them. Let them understand or comprehend the love you have for each person here. Once we understand that love, Lord, it makes it a lot easier to respond in gratitude. So, Lord, allow each one of us to experience that. Allow each one of us to leave this morning surrounded by you, knowing in our heart and in our head how much you love us. And, Father, allow our lives to be a reflection of the gratitude that we have for Jesus. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for bringing us into your kingdom. And we thank you for keeping us Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Allow them your protection. Meet every need. Allow their relationship with you to grow and mature and become all that you want it to be. And Lord, I commit each person to you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Have a great day. Enjoy the parade if you're going. If it's not raining. <laughs>